Cool. Thank you, guys. Let's uh, let's jump right into the sermon today. This is, I think, week eleven or twelve of the series that we've been doing. We've been working through the Gospel according to Mark. Um, that's the second of the synoptic gospels in the New Testament. And we've entitled this series, Mightier Than I, because uh, right at the outset, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, he introduces Jesus as the one who is, quote unquote, mightier than I. And the picture that we're given of Jesus, uh, the Messiah, the long-awaited king of Israel, is in fact... God who has become or who has returned as the king of the world. So Jesus is introduced as as a mighty king who has come to overthrow the current status quo, the current kingdom of darkness, which everyone thought was the Roman Empire. Turns out Jesus was dethroning a much greater, darker, more powerful enemy. That is Satan himself and the kingdom of darkness so that he can establish, can inaugurate his good and life-giving kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And so he is the mightier one who's come to establish his good and right rule in the world. And he is the king that we're getting to know and learning to follow. And that's mightier than I. So if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and go to Mark chapter 7. If you'd like to borrow one of ours, we have NIV paperbacks in the boxes in the two aisles here, which are always there for your use. But today we're going to look at a very short portion, uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. It's just a little tiny snippet. And um, here we go. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And from there, he that is Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth or Canaanite. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let's stop there. Okay, point number one. Wow. What just happened? It is not good to take the bread from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, what's so immediately, obviously, shocking about this is that thus far, this is not the king that we have been introduced to. This is, is, hang on a second, Jesus. What just happened? Did you actually call this poor woman who's come to you begging for your help, a dog? Yeah, that that just happened. Let's see if we can figure this out. First of all, 
let's, let's make sure we, we've, we've got the context here. So Jesus is obviously uh, hiding out. Uh, if we back up, well, virtually all of the chapters so far, it would seem that Jesus has been desperately trying to get away from the crowd and actually take a break, rest with his disciples. Several times now, his plans to have a short little break have been thwarted by the crowd. And so it would seem now he's decided, let's just, let's just leave the region. Let's, let's go someplace where there's no Jews around, they're not thinking about the Messiah, probably not heard of me, and maybe we can find some place among the Gentiles. We'll book an Airbnb, we'll hang out, we'll, we'll hide. Okay, fair enough. And then comes along a Gentile woman who it would seem has heard of Jesus and she makes her way into the house and she begs Jesus to cast a demon out of her child, her little girl. And of course, Jesus shuts her down hard. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. A few weeks ago, um, I, I had a, one of, someone, one of you guys here, um, come to me just before church. I was downstairs just spending some time in prayer, as I, as I do. Um, I've got a little hiding spot down there myself. And uh, someone came in and said, just walked right up to me. I was kind of like mid-prayer or something. I think I was pacing around prayer. Walked right up to me and said, Simon, I need you to teach me how to cast demons out of people. You remember that? And um, part of me was tempted initially to be like, oh yeah, of course, of course. (laughs) You need to sign up for my uh, course on demonology, exorcism. I'll sort you out. (laughs) And then, of course, I realized that would just be lying. Um, And I said, honestly, I I wish I could help you. Um, I don't have a great deal of experience casting out demons. Um, But could you imagine if I had responded and said, like, you want me to help you? Can't you see I'm in the middle of something? Like, who do you even think you are? This is the pastor's green room. How did you even get in here? (laughs) If you need help, subscribe to my podcast. All right, now, away with you. I mean, that's like the essential equivalence Like, get out of my face, I'm busy. Shocking. Why? Why did Jesus say this to this woman? What are we to make of this? Um, Bible commentators, if you read Bible commentaries, they have a variety of of ways that they've proposed to like get around this because it's really out of character. It's like, why did Jesus say this? totally out of character. Here's a few things, and these are helpful, but I don't know if any of them are decisive. Um, most commentators will say that, that this is, you can't read it quite as, as literally or, or woodenly as, as, as we might do when we're just reading the English translation. They suggest or insist rather that this is obviously some sort of a, a proverbial statement. Um, it would have been sort of like a little less harsh to the ears. Oh yeah, I've heard this one. I get it. You're a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I'm a dog. Okay, I understand. Um, 
Most commentators also point out that the word um, kanarion, if I'm pronouncing it right, it's the Greek word there that we translate to dog, is actually in the diminutive form of the word, meaning it's more like doggy or like little dog, little puppy. So it's kind of like, oh, you know, puppy household pet, not like dog. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Still a little harsh. One of my favorite Bible commentators uh, proposes that perhaps Jesus was actually orchestrating a moment to test his disciples. Because it wouldn't have been as shocking if one of his disciples had said it. Because they, they had a lot of issues they're still working through. So, yeah, one Bible commentator suggests that perhaps Jesus was saying it to see how his disciples might react, watching their expressions to see if they're like high-fiving each other. Yeah, tell her to get out of here, Gentile woman. Perhaps, perhaps. Others say uh, that perhaps Jesus was testing the faith of the woman herself. Perhaps he was wanting to give her a chance to, to respond. Perhaps he was saying what everyone had been saying. Perhaps he, he said what she at some level expected a Jewish rabbi to say. But he wanted to give her the chance to respond, to, to trust him, to use some faith. However you spin it, the bottom line is that the woman was in a place begging for a favor. She had no, no place being in. She didn't belong there. She really did not belong there. She's out of order on so many levels. Number one, okay, they were hiding. They didn't want to be disturbed, so naturally they would have had the do not disturb sign on the door. Okay? They, it, it specifically says that they didn't want to be found. They were trying to get away. So strike one. Number two, she was a woman. So in a first century, radically patriarchal society, it would have just been way, way, way crossing the line for a woman to somehow make her way into this little private meeting with Rabbi Jesus and his all-male disciples. Okay, not cool, but this, this is just the context. This is first century world. Third, she's a Gentile. Jews and Gentiles don't mix. And there's a massive, massive history behind all of that. What is it? Is it racism? Is it xenophobia? Not quite. It's more complex than that. Probably a type of xenophobia for sure, but, but something much, much more ancient than just our version of xenophobia today. Jews and Gentiles had a particular spiritual conflict, you could say, dates way, way back to Old Testament days. And so it would have just been inappropriate for a female Gentile to interrupt this private meeting that Jesus was having with his disciples. She doesn't fit in that place. She doesn't even fit into the story of Israel. At this point, Jesus was only going to the children of Israel. And this was to fulfill ancient prophecy. There was, Jesus wasn't just like arbitrarily wandering around the ancient Near East doing miracles and throwing out sort of proverbial sayings. He was, he was meticulously and intentionally fulfilling a, a plot, a storyline that had been, that God had started telling many, many, many years before. This, this, was, 
This was Jesus fulfilling messianic prophecy. And at this stage in the story, it had nothing to do with the Gentile world. That would come for sure, but not yet. This is totally out of place. And here is this woman. So how do you feel about this? What, what would you say if you were that woman in that place? Do you feel offended on her behalf? Surely you do. I do. I read it no matter how many times I've read this passage. I'm like, Jesus, that's just not right. Like, I get it. She's Gentile. She's female, all of this stuff. And I understand, okay, but a dog? Really? Why? And you, hopefully, if you've got any sense of compassion, feel indignant, offended, uh, a little heart sore for this poor woman who's come to Jesus begging him to cast a demon out of her little girl. And he says, it's not right that I would take bread from the children and throw it to the dogs. What would you say if you were the woman? I would be tempted to I push back, say, look, look, do you have any idea how difficult it was to even get in here? Do you, you have any idea the shame and the dirty looks I had to endure just to get this far? And I've heard you've done it for others. This is not fair. You're supposed to be a good teacher and you have no compassion not just for me, but the, the, the life of a child, I would have been tempted to, to argue my case, to, to, to justify my situation, and say, this is not right. I, de- I deserve something from you, if not for me, for my, my daughter, at least. Are you guys with me? Here's something interesting. Remember who Mark is writing to. Because this is the gospel according to Mark. Uh, Most historians agree that this is John Mark, one of the early disciples. He would have been a companion of Peter, the apostle Peter. So he would have been an excellent eyewitness. And most historians, again, will agree that Mark is probably the first of all four gospel accounts that was recorded. And you know who he's writing to? Gentiles. So how you feel right now, how I feel anyway, slightly offended, definitely shocked, I believe is exactly how Mark wants us to feel. He's writing to Gentiles. What does the woman say? Let's go to the next slide. Verse 28. But she answered him. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. 
And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Verse 27, let the children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she answered him, yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And for this statement, she got what she came for. What just happened? What just happened? What statement exactly? What was it about what she said that that changed Jesus' mind? Yes, Lord. You know, this is the only time in the Gospel of Mark that anyone refers to Jesus as Lord. He refers to himself as Lord a handful of times, but this is the only instance of another person referring to Jesus as Lord in the entire gospel. Yes, Lord. Yes, you're right. I don't belong here. You're right, I've got nothing to offer you, nothing to bribe you with. I don't deserve anything from you today. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, but I heard that you touch lepers and heal them. Yes, Lord, but I heard, I heard of a woman who touched you who had been unclean for 12 years and you gave her her life back. Yes, Lord, but I heard you've even called a tax collector to be one of your very own disciples. Yes, Lord, I'm coming to you as one who is defiled and has nothing to offer, no potential, no means of paying you back. You don't owe me a thing. I deserve nothing from you. To be honest with you, I feel like a total inconvenience right now. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs deserve to eat the crumbs from the table. Yes, Lord, I deserve nothing from you, but I'm asking anyway. I deserve nothing. I'm not here to argue my case. I'm not here to justify my position. I'm not here to convince you that I deserve something from you now in this moment because X, Y, Z, so on and so forth. I'm here because I've heard that you're not only a mighty king, but you're a king who touches the defiled. I'm here because I've heard that you're not only the mighty one, but you're the king who's come with grace in his heart. Sure, maybe I don't deserve a thing. Maybe it's like everyone says, maybe I'm just a little dog just scurrying around, nipping at the master's heels. Yes, Lord, I deserve nothing, but I'm asking anyway, because I've heard you're mighty and you're full of grace. You know what this is? Well, let me me ask you this. Did you know that the word grace appears nowhere in all three of the synoptic gospels? 
you believe that? Do a word search. Grace does not, the word grace does not exist. It pops up in John. But nowhere to be found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is an enacted parable of grace. A woman who's lost everything, who knows she deserves nothing, and yet has the nerve to ask Jesus for everything. That's grace. Yes, Lord, I deserve nothing, nothing, but I'm asking anyway because I've heard you're mighty and unlike anyone this world has ever seen before. Not only do you have the power, but you bring grace. Have you ever wondered if Jesus will fight for you? Have you ever um, been in a situation where you're desperate enough to actually cry out to God? And have you ever wondered to yourself, gosh, I wonder if Jesus will fight for me today. I, I feel like perhaps if I could do something to show that I deserve his attention, maybe today he'll respond to my prayers. I feel like perhaps if somehow I can present my case in such a way that if he feels bad enough for me, then maybe, maybe the mighty one will be mighty for me today. I'm hoping that, that Jesus remembers like all of the good deeds that I did over the last couple of years because today I really need his attention. Today I really need to know that he knows I deserve something from heaven today. And yet deep down you wonder, will he buy it? Will he be impressed with me today? Did I sing loud enough today? Did I get it right yesterday? But what about that other thing? I don't know if I do deserve it. Will the mighty one be mighty for me today? And we're tempted. This is what I think is happening in this story, this enacted parable of grace. Us Gentiles, are be, we're being drawn into this private little meeting, this moment where this woman who does not belong there all of a sudden appears Broken marriage, failed mother, a Gentile. She has nothing to bring to the table. For all intents and purposes, she's kind of like a dog. Oh, that's so harsh. I reckon that's exactly how she feels. Of course, Jesus, he perceives the heart. I would have been so tempted in that moment to be like, yeah, but Jesus, do you know how much I've suffered? Like, I, I, I've done this, I've done that. Surely I, I deserve something. 
Surely you owe me a little. It's for the girl, for God's sake. But instead, the woman says, yes, Lord. You're right. I'm not here to argue my case. I'm not here to impress you or to make you feel sorry for me. Yes, Lord. But I've heard that you are the mighty one, the king who has brought grace. And for this statement, Jesus says, go ahead and go home. Your daughter will be fine. The demon left her. This is how darkness is overthrown in the kingdom of God. Grace. We come with nothing. Hopefully. No need to impress. No need to argue our case. No need to convince ourselves that somehow I deserve something. No. This is the king who's mightier than myself and full of grace. This is good news. This is good news. You and I have nothing that impresses our Father in heaven. No need. No need. He's not looking for it, He's not demanding it. He knows we deserve nothing from Him, and yet He gives us everything. Grace. This is the kind of community that we're trying to build at Grace City, where we can like practice this stuff, where we can embody grace towards one another. You know, I hate talking about the quote unquote world because it makes it sound like there's like them and us. But, you know, in the world, um, there's a different sort of economy at work. Um, In the world, if you want something from someone, then typically you need to approach them with like an offer on the table. In the world, if, if you want someone to pay you any attention, You need to do something, hopefully subtly, otherwise it just seems arrogant, but you need to do something to to show them that, hey, I've got potential. I'm worth your time. If you invest in me, you'll, you'll get something in return. I promise you, it will be worth it. It will be worth your effort. So sorry to inconvenience you now, but I promise you I'll work extra hard and I'll make it up to you in the end if you'll just give me some of your time. In the world, we typically look for people who have something to give us. We try to position ourselves around people of, of influence or people who have made it, people with money, people with success, because we're looking to get something from everyone. And of course, we're not actually trying to use people, but in the world, that's the economy. That's how it works. If you want something from someone, you need to bring something to the table. In God's kingdom, the economy is completely backwards. Jesus gives his attention to people who have nothing to give in return. 
He's not looking, okay, what do you got? Yeah, well, okay, you want healing? What do you bring to the table? You, now nah, you don't got any potential. You, you look like a leader. Come on, you can roll with me. Who, who wants a piece of Jesus? Who wants in on the action? You want healing? You want freedom? You want to experience new life? Okay, what do you got? What do you bring to the table? I'll let you in the community, but you've got you've to somehow convince me that this is going to be worth my time. And this is the way, this is world speak. But I wonder if we could be the kind of community that has this like foundation of grace that says you want something, you want, it, you want freedom, you want to experience new life, a heart that's full of joy and peace, you want to experience right, healthy relationships, you want to experience my kingdom, what do you have? What do you bring to the table? Nothing, I'm broken, I'm defiled. I don't know, Jews call me a dog. You're in. You're in. I'm establishing my kingdom for people just like you. You want some of my time? You have nothing to offer me? Nothing, you're undeserving? Wonderful. I reserve my time exactly for people just like you because I'm not looking to get anything from you. I've not come to be served. I've come to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. This is kingdom speak. This is how Jesus talks. This is grace. You guys went in? You know what's so scandalous about grace? This is the scandal of grace. It's not just that Jesus offers healing, freedom, new life, etc., to undeserving people. It's that he doesn't give us what we do deserve. Instead, he gives us everything else. Because you might be thinking, but wait a second. Wait a second. I may not deserve a lot, but I know for sure some people deserve other stuff. You're like, oh, you'll get, you'll get yours someday, you guy who cut me off on the freeway. I'll see you in hell. Oh, wait. No, you won't. I won't be there. Because we know some people do deserve something. And this is the scandal of grace. Here, okay, here's, you want to get like just real blatantly honest. Keep reading the story. You know where Jesus ends up going? To a cross. Why? Because he came to the world to die, to suffer and die for me. Because I'm culpable. I am a sinner just like the rest of you. I've lied cheated, I've been selfish, etc. So you guys know the deal. You want to talk about deserve. <laughs> I got this, uh, some junk mail a couple days ago. It's spring. I was in the backyard yesterday. Epic. Dirt under the nails. Felt alive. Check my mailbox. Lo and behold, there was one little piece of mail in my mailbox. Junk mail. Open it up and it was like 
it was this advert for you can have a green lawn. I'm like, yes, I want a green lawn. We're having guests over today. They'll be so impressed with me. Like this will secure my, my manhood, like for sure. And I'm reading, reading, and the closing line is, because you deserve a green lawn. And I, I, was, I was standing by my mailbox, like reading this, and for a second I thought, yeah, I do deserve a green lawn. <laughs> I really do. And this, this is a problem. This is a problem. It's not a millennial thing. I don't even think it's an American thing. This is a human problem. We think we deserve what? Comfort, security, success. Why? Why do you deserve this? Why, does, why do any of us deserve anything in this life? We don't. We've done a thoroughly superb job at wrecking life. This, this gets down to the, you know, the, the age-old question. Like, are we inherently good or inherently bad? Like, where is humanity going? Are we the solution to ourselves? Is it, is it, where, is this, where is this all going? I reckon a couple thousand more years, we'll, we'll know for sure where this is all heading. But when I read the Bible, what I read again and again and again is God saying, no, it's your fault. <laughs> You've broke creation. You've rebelled. You've sinned. Some more, some less. It's all relative. You deserve hell. And what does the king give us? Everything else. He gives us grace. He suffers hell for us. And he says, now just take the gift and come home. Is that not utterly scandalous? Slightly offensive, slightly hopeful. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is the most shocking thing ever. Grace. Grace. I deserve nothing. And yet I'm asking anyway. Let's see if we can build uh, a community that embodies that sort of attitude. That can approach relationships with, with that. Like, you don't owe me anything. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I've already got everything I need. <laughs> my goodness. My heavenly father just keeps lavishing his grace upon me. My heart is just overflowing with love. I have been forgiven. I've been given a reason to live. Can I share it with you? That's grace. The mighty one has not only come to conquer darkness, to overthrow the kingdom of death on our behalf, but he's come with grace in his heart, inviting the undeserved to come home to experience his love.
Can we stand, please? You're now listening to Grace City Portland.